Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dewar and this is Irish Spies in World War II. The summer of 1940 was a worrying time in Ireland. Many feared the Irish Free State, which had only gained its independence 18 years earlier, was about to be invaded again. Nine months earlier, in September 1939, Nazi Germany had invaded Poland, a move that prompted Britain and France to declare war. Initially, Ireland and most smaller states in Western Europe had hoped they could remain neutral. However, one by one, Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands and Luxembourg, all of whom had adopted a policy of neutrality like Ireland, were invaded by the Nazis. Then, by June 1940, an invasion of Ireland seemed imminent. After the fall of France in that summer, the Nazis began to prepare what was called Operation Sea Line, an invasion of Britain which would inevitably have led to an invasion of Ireland. The Irish army made what preparations they could, although few had any illusions that this small force could fend off a German invasion. Indeed, the Irish government were already in negotiations with the government of the United Kingdom working out the details of how British troops would once more return to the Irish Free State to aid with a defence against a German invasion. While the primary focus was on the external threat in the form of Germany, the intelligence departments of the Irish police and the army began to increase surveillance on internal threats. They identified would-be collaborators with the Nazis and placed them under increased surveillance. This podcast is based on the dossier compiled by the Directorate of Military Intelligence on one of those they deemed to pose the most serious threat. This was the former commissioner of Angarda Síochána, the Irish police, Owen O'Duffy, a man who had also served as a general in the Irish army. There was good reason to fear O'Duffy would be installed as a puppet by the Germans if they had invaded, and this led the Directorate of Military Intelligence to compile a large file on him. Now, 80 years later, this podcast will bring you some of those reports compiled by agents about Owner Duffy. Much of what you're about to hear has never been published before. Before we get into this fascinating topic, I just have a quick announcement about scheduling. Throughout the lockdown, the podcast 
went weekly and for a time was even coming out twice a week. This was a conscious decision given lots of us were stuck indoors with little to do. Now I know lots of you listening to this outside of Ireland might still be in a lockdown or re-entering lockdowns and I do intend to keep the show coming out every week. However this requires some planning and a lot of time in libraries and archives which are now opening up here in Ireland. Now this is necessary because basically during the lockdown I've burned my way through most of the research I had done up to this point. Long story short, this means the show may, and that's only a maybe, drop back to a fortnightly release through July before we hit the ground running again in August. During this time I'll be really busy working behind the scenes on four projects coming up in the coming months. One is with the Care Women's History Group on the lives of three women from South Tipperary. They're not well-known people, but each one of those women lived extraordinary lives, as you'll hear. Then there's a series I've been working on in my spare time over the last three months that's called The Road to O'Crohan. Describing this one is difficult. I think I've mentioned it before, but basically I don't know how to tell you what it's about without including a spoiler. But basically it's going to be a six-part series that looks at one of the most fascinating murders you're going to ever hear about. There's also a project in the pipeline for Heritage Week which is coming up in August and I'll give you details about that in a coming show. All this is going to lead up to a big series on the War of Independence as well. So that's all coming down the line. As always I want to thank all the patrons of the show for your support. In previous years I wouldn't have been able to have several projects on the go at the same time. But because of your support I've been able to buy more books and pay for extra online archival resources all of which speeds up the research process immeasurably because I don't have to constantly visit the library. So I want to say thank you very much to the patrons. If you're not a patron you can find out how you can support the show and receive bonus content, early access to the show and much more at patreon.com forward slash irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash irish podcast. The intelligence reports in this episode are narrated by Aidan Crow. By the summer of 1941, the Second World War was entering its most intense phase. The Nazis were at the height of their power. They had swept through France, Holland, Belgium and Norway. And in 1941, Hitler's gaze had turned to the east towards a showdown with the Soviet Union. The scale of this campaign, Operation Barbarossa, was extraordinary. The world had never seen anything like it as three million men were assembled along the Soviet frontier. While the Nazis were preparing to unleash a war of annihilation on the Eastern Front, on the other side of the continent, an Irish policeman, Garda Tom Clerken, had a seemingly innocuous meeting with an acquaintance in the town of Dundalk, County Louth. Clerken had travelled from the neighbouring county of Monaghan, where he had grown up and now served as a member of Angarda Síochána, the Irish police force. The precise reason Clerken had met with this acquaintance was never entirely clear. It may have just been a meeting of old friends, and there's no doubt Clerken was an interesting man. He had been involved in the Republican movement right from its earliest days, through the War of Independence up to the truce with Britain. During those days he had rubbed shoulders with some of the most famous IRA veterans of the war. It was no surprise then that he and his friend whiled away a few hours reminiscing about people they had known. The name of Owen O'Duffy inevitably came up. He had been among the most famous members of the IRA in Monaghan during the War of Independence and Clerken had served with him. After what seemed to have been a pleasant encounter, Tom Clerken returned home that evening thinking little more of this meeting. However, it appears he did not fully understand what had just happened. 
The exact identity of his acquaintance remains unclear in records, but this individual had not been completely open or honest with Tom Clerken about what he was doing. He had not met Tom to discuss the good old days. He had had an ulterior motive. In the following days, this man would sit down to write a detailed encounter of their meeting and other similar encounters, all of which had seemed equally innocuous. When the report was complete, he sent it to Major Dan Bryan in the Irish Army. It was titled, Subject, General Owen O'Duffy, and the report began, Sir, further to our conversation the other day, I now beg to submit the particulars asked for. At Dundalk, I met Garda Clerken, a native of Monaghan, who served with O'Duffy from the very beginning. I didn't, of course, ask any direct questions about O'Duffy, but led the conversation around to find out if O'Duffy visits the area and what he is doing. Clerken said that O'Duffy seldom passes that way. The last time he met him was four or five months ago, and he'd knock you down for a bottle of brandy. Clerken expressed the view that O'Duffy had no interest in life but to get hold of brandy. The recipient of this report, Major Dan Bryan, was from the Directorate of Military Intelligence, often referred to as G2, tasked with providing intelligence on those deemed to be a threat to the Irish state. G2 was expanding rapidly during the Second World War, and one of its primary concerns was Owen O'Duffy due to his Nazi sympathies. Indeed, the agent dispatched to meet Garda Clerken tracked down several people who knew or had known O'Duffy, trying to build up a picture of what he had been doing in more recent times. After meeting Garda Clerken in Dundalk, he travelled on to County Monaghan. There, he'd stayed overnight in the town of Clonus in a hotel called the Hibernian. This choice of accommodation was not random. It was owned by another IRA veteran from the War of Independence, Mr John Tummins. When he filed his report to Major Bryan, the agent detailed what he had found out here as well. At Clonus, I stayed at the Hibernian Hotel, which is owned by a Mr John Tummins, a very old and particular friend of O'Duffy. In the course of the conversation, Mr Tummins mentioned that he had been speaking to O'Duffy on the phone a few days previously. He had stayed with O'Duffy at Mount Merion for a short holiday and thought O'Duffy was very happy in his home. He mentioned that O'Duffy has written a book of reminiscences, which he will publish shortly. O'Duffy, he said, does not go north very much, but occasionally visits a doctor in Cork with whom he is very friendly. He could not recall the name of the doctor. He said that O'Duffy had offered his services to the state if required at any time, and that he would fight again if ever the country was invaded. The report concluded by turning to an aspect of the trip in which the agent had failed, but this highlighted the meticulous nature of the planning involved and how G2 were building up a picture of Owen O'Duffy by talking to those who knew him rather than observing the man himself. The agent had been tasked to find out information about a man called P.V. Hoy, another veteran of the War of Independence, who was suspected of helping Owen O'Duffy. I could not find anything about Hoy because I had no contact. You mentioned the name McKenna to me, whom you thought was a local defence force leader. The only McKenna in the local defence force is the communications officer. Is that the man you mean? The night I stayed at the Hibernian Hotel, Mr Tummins was out seeing a man named Hoey. I should think that if O'Duffy had any message to send to Hoey, he would possibly send it through Tummins. This report, when it arrived on Major Bryan's desk, was added to what was a growing file on Owen O'Duffy. Some of the reports like this one, had involved agents in the field, but others compiled what might seem like irrelevant details, such as receipts, but it was all being meticulously gathered up to build up a picture of what Owen Duffy believed in, who he met, what he talked about, and assessing his strengths and weaknesses. This was then, on occasion, summarised and analysed. 
For example, in a report dating from September 1940, G2 had outlined a summary of their concerns and the threat Ono Duffy posed. It seems that it is a reasonable conclusion that O'Duffy and his friends were convinced that following the collapse of France, Germany would invade both England and Ireland. Following such an invasion, a new form of government would be set up here, with O'Duffy and his satellites replacing the existing government. This report continued by referencing a comment from O'Duffy about the German ambassador, described here as the German minister. It also reveals that G2 had an increasingly large net cast around O'Duffy and his contacts, which was providing them with information. His statement that the German minister knew who his friends were is particularly significant. And this statement is more or less borne out by a similar statement made by a member of the group to a friend about the middle of July. Owing to the failure of the anticipated invasion to materialise, the activities of O'Duffy in relation to foreign powers are circumscribed. But taking a long view, it seems desirable that we should not lose sight of O'Duffy's potential capacity for intrigue in the post-war reconstruction or destruction of existing systems of government. Oftentimes it was not clear where their information was coming from, but it's obvious they not only had multiple informants, but also multiple ways of finding out information. From the documents in the file, it's clear they and the Gardaí had informers, but they were also intercepting O'Duffy's mail where possible and also possibly collecting his rubbish on occasion or had someone working in his home. One way or another, they were able to gain receipts indicating how much money Owen O'Duffy was spending. Through these numerous avenues, G2 slowly built up this broader picture I've mentioned before. And crucial to this was aspects of Owen O'Duffy's life that were not directly related to politics. As early as the final weeks of peace in Europe in the summer of 1939, they appeared to have honed in on what was a well-known weakness of Owen O'Duffy, his alcoholism. In a report from the 16th of August 1939, just over two weeks before the outbreak of war, an agent had submitted a report titled General O'Duffy. It read, He told an old friend that at present he is doing nothing except writing his autobiography, which is to cause fireworks all round. Interestingly, however, before the report turned to politics, it noted, He looks well, is probably not drinking much. O'Duffy has, however, stated that he is in touch with both Hitler and Mussolini, and made some other statement which would indicate that he is both interested in and possibly in touch with German and Italian activities. His drinking was something that G2 reports occasionally returned to over the coming years. By 1941, when they were paying increasing attention to O'Duffy, they were beginning to detail exactly how much he was spending on alcohol. For example, the dossier has a number of receipts, including one from trainers of Delir Street, where Owen O'Duffy had spent £51, 15 shillings and sixpence in under three months on tobacco and whiskey. While they were interested in personal aspects of his life, most of the file is, as you might expect, taken up with his political views and actions. For example, O'Duffy was involved in setting up a group called Irish Friends of Germany, basically a front for Nazi sympathisers, and their activities naturally aroused suspicion by 1940. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The G2 file on O'Duffy contains a very detailed report from the special branch, the political section of the Gardaí, the Irish police, on a meeting that took place in Dublin on May the 20th, 1940. Along with O'Duffy, among those present was an individual named Alex McCabe, who was mentioned several times in various documents. McCabe had been involved in fascist politics in Ireland of one kind or another for years, and he would actually end up being interned briefly during the Second World War. The report, though, on this meeting of Irish Friends of Germany read as follows. A meeting of the Irish Friends of Germany was held in Wynne's Hotel, Lower Abbey Street, on the 15th of May 1940. Between 7.30 and 8pm, the following persons were seen to enter the hotel. General Owen O'Duffy, James Burke, Barrister of Law, Captain Liam Walsh, and Alex McCabe, Secretary, Educational Building Society. A large number of persons, about 50 in number, entered the hotel about the same time, but most of these were there for the purpose of attending a meeting of the new Republican Party, which was also being held there. Others were residents and visitors to the hotel. The Gardaí who compiled this report and were clearly observing the meeting, were not inside, although they were able to gather detailed information about what happened, probably by talking to the hotel staff. Only the four persons named were recognised as being the likely participants in the meeting of the Irish Friends of Germany. This meeting was held in Room 40, which had been previously booked by McCabe. The latter did not state the purpose for which he required the room, and the manageress of the hotel was under the impression that it was for the purpose of holding a meeting of the shareholders of the building society with which McCabe is connected that the room was required. Chairs for 12 persons were provided in the room and it was subsequently ascertained that about that number of men attended the meeting. The only person to arrive there by car was General O'Duffy and when leaving the other three accompanied him. The police outside also took a specific interest that night in one particular person who had attended the meeting and appeared to have gone to considerable lengths to identify him. One foreign-looking person who was observed entering the hotel at 8pm was followed after the meeting, and it has been definitely established that he attended the same. He went first on foot to the Red Bank restaurant, but was not allowed to enter. He then went by bus to 169 Errigal Road, Drimna. This man was later identified as Seamus Edward Victor Thomas Hahn, who resides at the address given. He is of German descent, but is an Irish citizen. He is in possession of an Irish passport. Han continues to be the subject of attention. Indeed, the more information they gathered, there was increasingly little doubt about what the affiliations and convictions of Owen O'Duffy and his associates were. For example, he had been reticent to set up an explicitly pro-Nazi organisation, not only because it could lead to arrests, but he also felt comfortable that the Nazis were well aware he was an ally. The reference to the German minister in this report is again the German ambassador in Dublin. Regarding the present situation, O'Duffy said that no organisation could be forged without it being treasonable, and that in any case, this step was hardly worthwhile at the present moment, as the German minister was fully aware of all of those who supported him. While reports like this and others confirmed the suspicions that O'Duffy would aid the Germans, the more information 
the Irish intelligence community gathered, the more they were confirmed of the view that O'Duffy was limited in what he could achieve. In a report from the special branch of the Gardaí, which summarised and assessed his activities sometime after September 1940, they were blunt about the fact that they did not really rate O'Duffy and he had an inflated sense of himself. O'Duffy, even within the experience of this branch, is bombastic and exaggerates his own affluence and importance. However, they reaffirmed their view that given the chance he would aid the Nazis. Nothing to connect O'Duffy directly in a very suspicious manner with foreign powers is known, but this dossier indicates that his whole bias is favourable to the German-Italian group of power and to their ideological views. It would seem probable that he is arranging matters at the moment that in the event of a German-Italian victory, he hopes to be able to associate with the victors, while if this eventuality does not ensure he can resume an ordinary Irish political career when the opportunity arises. It can be accepted as certain that he is anxious to cultivate the legations of certain belligerents, and that he has already probably transferred certain unimportant information to them. It was quite probable that he would act in the same manner, but in a more discreet way in connection with information of importance. The risk he posed was always offset, however, by a degree of amateurism revealed in his activities. Listeners to the series Partisans will have heard of the disastrous nature of Ordopi's attempt to intervene in the Spanish Civil War and a report about a reception in the German embassy in 1941 indicated little had changed in the following years. He appears to have lacked any seriousness about what he was engaged in. This report was submitted by an individual who signed off with the initials SOB in early March 1941. It was not only revealing about O'Duffy but also highlighted the ability of G2 to gather intelligence from a wide range of sources. Indeed, it's not even clear whether SOB, the person who wrote this report, realised that their letter would end up with G2. It may well have been written to a politician or possibly the Gardaí and subsequently passed on. That said, as you will hear, the letter does in parts have the feel of someone providing a report for intelligence purposes. Like many of the reports of O'Duffy, there was nothing singularly explosive in it, but it was just one piece of a jigsaw which contributed to this growing picture. The event in question took place at the home of a Herr Thompson, the Charge de Fer in the German embassy in Dublin at the time. At a function which I attended recently, I had the pleasure of meeting General O'Duffy and Mr Alex McCabe. O'Duffy, as usual, was quite at ease when talking himself, his theories and his predictions. I believe he got somewhat of a shock when he saw me. He talked about his health. He should have been in the hospital to have some bronchial tubes swept. He shouldn't have come to the party. He shouldn't be drinking. In fact, he was doing everything he shouldn't be doing that night in order that he might grace the party with his presence. He talked a good deal to the German minister. And to me, it seemed that O'Duffy's theory was that the British would take over Donegal by force of arms from us or endeavour to do so. Donegal was of paramount importance from the point of view of Atlantic shipping. O'Duffy talked loudly enough and I was near him, but I was also engaged in general conversation with other guests. The conversation, I felt, was just an ordinary exchange of opinions about the war, Ireland and how she was affected. The letter continued with O'Duffy's remarks about a potential British invasion of Ireland. At supper later, Alex McCabe said something about the book The Last Conquest of Ireland and the amount of research work which this entailed. O'Duffy made the remark, The Last Conquest of Ireland until the next to which Mr. Hempel, the German ambassador, interjected, Please, General, you are very pessimistic. The supper was a buffet, and the guests stood around in small groups. 
To my mind, it appeared that both O'Duffy and McCabe go out of their way to draw the attention of the Germans to the fact that the people of Ireland are in the main very friendly to Germany. McCabe told a few of us that the people of Ireland turn on their radios when Lord Haw Haw is speaking, and that in fact they gloat over British defeats. Prior to my leaving, Dr Nolan, Dr O'Carroll, General O'Duffy, McCabe and myself happened to be in the same group, and Alex McCabe said that it was very enjoyable to meet people of the right way of thinking, and to spend such a pleasant evening together. The remark was innocuous enough, but on the spot O'Duffy immediately said, Alex, you should not assume that everyone you meet at a function such as this has the proper outlook, or words to that effect. I took O'Duffy's remark to mean that people were present who were not German sympathisers, and that Alex should not assume that Dr Nolan or myself were. I had the feeling O'Duffy, McCabe and co. would endeavour to create the feeling Irish people are somewhat pro-German and definitely anti-British. It was increasingly clear that Owen O'Duffy on his own posed a very limited threat given his shortcomings and this would only change in the event of a German invasion. However, in the summer of 1941, the immediate threat of this began to recede. As the German army poured across the border of the Soviet Union in that summer of 1941, launching the largest invasion in human history, this left them with no resources for an invasion of Britain or Ireland. That said, G2 could take no chances and they continued to monitor Owen O'Duffy. They were concerned about contacts he was developing with figures in the Irish army, particularly with General Hugo McNeil, with whom he was a close friend. They also paid very close attention to his contacts with German soldiers who were being held in Ireland at the time. Given Ireland was neutral, pilots who bailed out over Ireland were supposed to be interned. While British pilots were often driven to the border with Northern Ireland, which is in the United Kingdom, and then released, the Germans were held in what was an open prison in the Curra army camp. They were judged to be of a minimal threat and the conditions were very relaxed. They were allowed to travel around the Curra and O'Duffy met them on several occasions. G2, who were monitoring his communication and those in the camp, were well aware of the extent of the contact and on one occasion mounted what must have been a well-planned operation to monitor O'Duffy when he met German officers being held in the camp. G2 received this report of a meeting. Confidential. Meeting between German internee officers from the Curra and General Owen O'Duffy in Lawler's Hotel, Nace, on Sunday the 22nd of March, 1942. 1. On Saturday the 21st of March, 1942, information was received that a meeting between the above named had been arranged for 7pm on Sunday the 22nd of March, 1942. 2. Three German officers, internees at the Curra, arrived at Lawler's shortly before 7pm and went to a room in the hotel. Sometime later, General Owen O'Duffy arrived by car and inquired with some of the hotel staff if there were any people waiting for him, announcing that he was General O'Duffy. Apparently the Germans indicated that they were to meet him and that he was shown to the room where the Germans were waiting. 3. The party had some drinks in the hotel and later went to Oberstown House Hotel, after which they returned to Lawler's Hotel Nace, where they parted. O'Duffy for Dublin and the Germans for the Curra. Beyond this information, the informant whom I had on watch was unable to secure the details of what happened at the meeting. The army authorities responsible for the internment camps at the Curra are aware of the meeting. Later that year, the Soviet victory at Stalingrad in the winter of 1942 sealed the fate of the German army and any prospect of an invasion of Ireland disappeared. 
Furthermore, the fact that the USA had entered the war in December 1941 and large numbers of American troops were arriving in Britain ensured it would have been almost impossible for the Germans to invade Britain or Ireland. Nevertheless, G2 continued to monitor O'Duffy. In the year following Stalingrad, his health deteriorated and he was admitted to hospital several times. And while he eventually died in late 1943, right up until his final weeks, military intelligence still continued to receive reports about him. Where or how they got the information is not always clear. For example, the next letter, the final document in this podcast, was from the Matter Hospital in Dublin. Who wrote it is unclear. Was it a patient, a nurse, maybe a cleaner who recorded this exchange? Whomever it was, O'Duffy seems to have been oblivious that he was being watched. This report was headlined Dr. E. Temple, a reference to the German ambassador. General O'Duffy at present is a patient in the Matter Hospital and he was recently visited by the German minister, Dr. Hempel. Immediately after the minister's departure, Dr. Henry Moore called into the ward, and the general remarked, It's a pity you weren't in here a few minutes sooner, Harry. The German minister was here, and I would have liked you to meet him. Dr. Moore replied jokingly, I don't want to meet him. I don't want to meet any Nazis. To which the general replied, But you are wrong there, Harry. He is not a Nazi. He is different. This was the final intelligence gathered by G2 on Owen O'Duffy. He was dead within a matter of weeks. This podcast is by no means an exhaustive account of the file kept on Owen O'Duffy, but hopefully this episode has given you some sense of what Ireland's intelligence agency were doing behind the scenes in the Second World War. In the coming weeks I'll have another similar show which will focus on a wartime family tragedy that has come to light through G2 files from the Second World War. Strange as it sounds, it is difficult to empathise with those who suffered in this tragedy. But that's all ahead of us in the coming show. Until next time, Sloan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.